Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Alright, if you've got your Bibles, meet me in Romans chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1131 in that Bible, Romans chapter 6. And we are plugging away through our series that we've called Authentic, Becoming Who We Really Are. And again, just a reminder, we do have a study guide that we've created to go along with this series. And the study guide is here to help you go deeper. Sunday morning is the main heart of the teaching, but the study guide is there to help you dig deeper into the scriptures, to help you apply it to your own life, and to be able to have some ways to to make it really applicable. And so those are available at the Hub. We're talking about becoming who we really are, and what we really mean by that is becoming who God has said that we are. We are wanting to become who he says that we are. We want to live out of his truth more and more. But because we have sinned, and because we have been sinned against, we carry around with us the weight of our sin and the consequences of our sin. We carry around with us pain, and we carry around with us shame. And because of all of that, we carry around with us what Christian psychologists have called the false self. The false self is the person that we put on in order to get by in life. It is a universal experience, and and it's understandable. It doesn't mean that it's good, but it's understandable. We learn in life that we need to put someone on in order to just kind of get by. And so what we're trying to do in this series is say when we are living out of this falseness that we are putting on, when we believe things about ourselves that aren't true, when we believe things about who God says we are that aren't true, then we will live in a certain way that isn't good. And we're just wanting to bring truth to bear against the falsity. We are wanting to bring God's truth against anything we might believe about ourselves or about who says we are that isn't right. And so we've been working through this for the last number of weeks. We'll keep going through this again today. So we have a dog named Sasha. I've told you stories about her before. This is not my dog, just full disclosure. But this is a miniature schnauzer. We have a miniature schnauzer. I tried to take a picture of my miniature schnauzer this week, but I could not get her to sit still long enough to take a good picture. So Google helped me out. And this is pretty indicative of the life of a schnauzer. It looks like she's smiling. Like they're always smiling. They're always happy. They're always super hyper. They're always very loving and over the top excited. When we got Sasha a couple years ago, we got her as a puppy. Uh, my kids are young and it was just everything you would hope for with young kids and a puppy. Just they were they always wrestle together and run around the yard and Sasha loves them and they love her and Sasha is just full of joy and, and it's a good feeling, right? For those of you who have dogs, you maybe know the feeling. It's nice to have someone who's just over the top excited to see you all the time, no matter what. And when I come home from work after a long day, I am walking up the walkway to my front door and our front door has a little window beside it. And Sasha, I think, hears the car coming from like four miles away and is like ready for me by the time I get there. And when I'm coming up the walk, Sasha's actually like scratching on the glass beside the door. She's just not just wiggling her tail, but her whole body is just super excited because someone's home and you walk in and she's all over you and you just feel like, well, no matter what day I had, someone loves me, right? No matter what day I had, There is joy coming home to a dog. That's one of the joys that dogs bring. And so Sasha is just always over the top excited. There are not too many humans in our lives who like dance every time they see us. And so Sasha is very consistent and and always happy. But sometimes Sasha is a bad dog, right? Sometimes she'll break a rule. Uh, Sometimes something goes wrong. And so on those days, Sasha is not super excited dancing to see us when we get home. 
And so I came home once, and the house had been empty for the day. I was the first one home. And as I come into the house, I'm walking up to the front door, and Sasha is not dancing on the glass like she normally would. And I went, oh, that's kind of weird. And so I opened the door, and Sasha is waiting for me at the top of the stairs, and she's just cowering, and her head is down, and her tail is down, and she's shaking. And I went, all right, you got a lousy poker face, Sasha. What did you do? What did you do? And I found she had shredded a cushion in the living room, like just shredded it. She, she was way too old to be doing that. But there was fluff everywhere. The carnage was incredible. Uh, she shredded this cushion and she got in trouble. And so she knew, right? I did something wrong and I am just waiting for someone to come and discipline. She knew very well and she wasn't even like cool about it. Like, hey dad, welcome home. What? Oh, the cushion? I didn't like, she, she broadcast that she had screwed up. And so, and those ones are the easy ones, actually. Those are the ones I prefer, because once me and Sarah came home and Sasha was cowering and scared, we're like, what did you do? And we never found what she did. And that was way worse, because every day you're walking on the, I'm gonna step in something, or I don't know what I'm walking into. But, but she broadcasts it, right? And you know, we're not, I don't think, overly strict parents. We don't yell at her or anything. There's discipline and there's treats and everything and what you can do with the dog. Um, but we know when she's screwed up, she carries that, right? Like it's not even like, well, it was a reasonable thing that I did. It just got out of hand. Like it's just, no, she's, she carries the weight of that that I am bad. Like if Sasha could talk when she's cowering, it would be, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. And as we're talking about who we are and who God says that we are, uh, there's too many Christians out there carrying that weight of I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. Right, that same cowering before the Lord. And, and we are sinners, and, and we're gonna talk about sin today specifically. And, and we in no way want to lighten the seriousness of our sin. We in no way want to sugarcoat it or, or get into a place where, hey, because of grace, it doesn't matter anymore. Quite the opposite, which we'll get into today. Uh, the Bible says clearly, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And that's John writing to Christians, people who have been washed in the blood, people who have been forgiven, people who are right with God, people who are going to heaven, people who are filled with the Spirit, and John says, hey, we can't claim that we're sinless. We have to be real. We have to acknowledge that there is sin in us. And that is part of the tension for us as Christians, is that we know we are saved. We know we are right with God. We know we've been forgiven. We know that we are in a right standing with him and that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We're not supposed to be cowering, but we can come boldly before his throne. We know all of these truths, and we know that he has set us free. We know the Holy Spirit lives within us, and yet sin is still there in, in our lives. Sin is still part of our, our experience. Sin is still something that we struggle with. And so we're going to just kind of wrestle through some of that today. Uh, the nature of our sin, and, and how do we get over our sin, and what is God doing in us, and we're just going to wrestle with some of those ideas today. Uh, the Calvinist branch of the church has a doctrine called total depravity, and we are not a Calvinist church. Uh, but the idea behind it, when we hear depravity, we think, you know, the homicidal maniac who does the really bad sins. But what they mean by it when they talk about it is that total depravity is the, the totality of mankind has fallen into sin. It's, it's total. There is nobody who has not sinned. There is nobody who has not fallen short of God's standard. It applies to everyone. And so we have all fallen into sin, and we are all completely helpless 
in our sin. We cannot save ourselves. We are stuck. We have rebelled against God. We have chosen evil. We have made bad choices. We have chosen our own way. We have cut ourselves off from him who is the source of all life. We have earned death because of that. That's where death comes into the picture. So our sin is deadly. Our sin is killing us, and we can do nothing about it on our own. That's total depravity. That's the doctrine in a nutshell. More to it than that, but just quick. And, I mean, that's the bad news, and that is the truth. And the good news is, of course, where we couldn't save ourselves, God has sent us a Savior, right? The good news is where we were stuck, God has offered salvation to us in Jesus. Where we were helpless, God has sent us help in Jesus. And that's the beauty of the gospel and everything good that he has promised us. But we're going to wrestle through this today. Let's take a look at our text. We're in Romans chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 15. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're just going to walk through this and pull some stuff out. So first things first, uh, Paul notes you used to be a slave to sin. You used to be. He talks about our slavery to sin in the past tense. You used to be a slave to sin, starting in verse 17. Thanks be to God, though that you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And this is what Jesus does. Before Jesus, we are helpless in our sin. We, we don't have any choice. We are bound up in it, and the evil that is in us, and the darkness that is there in every person, we are just stuck. We are stuck and hopeless and helpless in our sin. But when the Savior comes to pull us out of that stuff, there is a shift that happens on multiple levels. And it's not just, well, I was living for myself, and now I'm living for the Lord. It's not just, I knew I was, you know, far from God, and now my sins have been forgiven. It is those things, but it's not just that. Paul says there's an allegiance shift that has happened. You used to be slaves to sin. There was nothing you could do about it, but you've been set free from that. The focus of your life has now shifted. And where you were bound in sin and could do nothing about it, that's not the truth anymore. The truth now is you've been set free from that, and your life is shifting. You're to be moving away from the sin and moving towards the holiness that he has called us to. We used to have no choice, but now Jesus is setting us free from that and moving us to where he wants us to be. And it is a long-time debate in the church, should we be calling ourselves sinners? Should we be calling ourselves saints? Because we recognize, again, there is still sin there. There is 
still sin we struggle with. We do still sin, uh, but the Bible says we are saints, and the word saint literally just means holy one. So do we call ourselves sinners? Do we call ourselves saints? Some of us say both. We, we do both, and we're part of both. I'm throwing out there today, and this is just my two cents, that the New Testament overwhelmingly calls us saints instead of sinners as a, a matter of identity. And so that is how we should be identifying ourselves, that we should be identifying ourselves as holy ones, because that is what the New Testament usually calls us. Now, we know, of course, just from our experience, that that's tough, right? Because I say, hey, the Bible calls you holy one. And if you were like me when I think about that, I go, I do not always feel that holy. Uh, I can see a lot of unholiness in my life. Uh, I don't feel like a holy one. That doesn't feel like that is reflecting the reality anyway. Um, but as we're talking about who we are, who does God say that we are? Overwhelmingly, God says you are holy one. That is what he calls you. And if my reality does not line up with that perfectly, the point is not to lower God's standard to line up with my reality. The point is to live out of what God says more and more and let that set the tone. Let that set the standard. And so we don't want to be identifying ourselves in our sinfulness. We want to be identifying ourselves primarily as the ones who have been set free to holiness. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that probably should not be considered the only sins, but he's just making a list of sins, and it's all sin. Your sin is up there. And so you might see yourself specifically in some of these, or, or maybe not, but whatever your sin is could be included in this list. And so he's saying, yeah, the, for when we were in our sin, when that was who we were, we were far from God, and we are not getting into heaven, right? Because we are not saved, because we have been cut off from him, because we are living in the chains of our sinfulness. So these ones will not inherit the kingdom of God, and that is what some of you were, past tense. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So you were identified in your sinfulness before you met Jesus. That is who you were, but now you've been saved, you've been washed, you've been forgiven, you've been justified, you've been made right with God. Your identity is not the sin of your past anymore. Your identity is that you are bought by Jesus and belong to him. That is who you are. Now, when I look at that list, and again, any other sin up there, I know uh, from my experience in my life, I know from walking with church people for a lot of years now, that when we came to Jesus, you know, not all sexual immorality left our hearts, right? Jesus sets the bar for sexual immorality, like you don't even think about someone else in an inappropriate way. Like, that's how high the bar is set. And I don't know how many Christians have been able to reach that point yet, but all sexual immorality didn't leave us when we became followers of Jesus. Every hint of greed or every hint of slander, right, where we say things that we shouldn't say, everything that we do that is selfish or everything that we do, it didn't all leave. So Paul can't be saying that, you know, when you came to Jesus, everything that was sinful in you stopped instantly. But he seems to be talking more about where is your allegiance and how are you living your life? 
because he says in Romans, your allegiance shifted from your sin to now following after the Lord. And so we don't call ourselves by our sin anymore. We're not identified by our sin anymore. We're identified, we ground ourselves, we live our lives not out of our sinfulness, but out of the understanding that we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified, we are saved. That is who we are first and foremost. And so as we wrestle with that, we also understand, but okay, so what do I do then with the fact that I still sin and you still sin and you can see my sin and I can see your sin and, and sin is still there, right? We're not, we're not, it's not gone just because we've come to Jesus. Uh, John puts it this way, 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And that's a verse that's caused nightmares for Christians as we wrestle through what that means. That's a tough one. And as with many things, there's lots of different ways to look at it. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Uh, that can lay some guilt on us if we go, well, I, I think I'm connected to him, but I still have sin in my life. Uh, that doesn't sound like a super hopeful promise. But there's a couple of sides to this that, that I think, and this, these are just my thoughts, but no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It, again, it seems to speak more to allegiance and, and what is dominating you. Are you purposefully still living in things that you know are sinful, or are you moving away from them? There is an expectation that when the chains of sin have been broken in your life, that wasn't just to get you to heaven. That wasn't just to bring you into his presence and into communion with him. You were set free from the chains of sin so that you could leave those chains behind, so that we would get better in these things and we would be growing in these things, certainly as a lifelong work in progress, certainly not in a way where we expect perfection from anybody, but we are supposed to be overcoming, right? Like that is the message of this gospel. We are supposed to be getting better. We are supposed to be growing. We are supposed to be increasing in our holiness. And so if I am a follower of Jesus who continues to say my sin is not sin, and who continues to purposely live there instead of trying, like if I'm struggling with a sin, the important thing is I am struggling with it. Right? I am moving forward. I am trying to move forward. If I'm refusing to do that, if I'm saying my sin is not sin, I think that's probably more what this verse is getting at. But there's also, I think, a clue here of, okay, so how can we do better in the area of our sin? How can we grow? How can we start to overcome more? How can we move towards holiness? And one of the clues, I think, is we make sure we're abiding in Him. We make sure we are connecting to Him. And there are two big things that help us to grow in our holiness and overcome our sinfulness. And one of them is the Word of God, and the other is the Spirit of God. And you cannot overcome sin in your life without the Word of God. You just can't. It's just not possible. You need to be in the Word, because the Word is what renews our minds. The Word is what brings God's truth. The Word brings conviction of sin. Like, we need the Word showing us where we need to course correct. We need the Word showing us what we need to grow, and we need the Word bringing truth against the lies in our life, bringing healing and bringing wholeness. And with that, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm sending you a helper. He's going to make this walk easier. And if you think of times when you have felt filled with the Spirit, times when you've had encounters with God, times where you've maybe walked out of a worship service or, or walked out of a conference or you've been reading something that just stirred your heart or brought new revelation to you. Uh, we've talked in the past, we all connect with God in different ways and some of us it's study and some of us it's worship and some of us it's nature and some of us it's being with people. For some of us it's being alone uh, through serving. Like there's lots of ways that we can be filled with the Spirit in our lives. But to be filled with the Spirit, if you can just remember one or two of those moments in your life where you felt really close close to God, 
sin is unthinkable in those moments, right? Like sin is, it's unthinkable. I would do nothing to ruin this feeling. I would do nothing to pull away from God right now. And so if part of the solution to overcoming our sin is to, to stay really close to God, to stay in his presence, to seek the filling of the Spirit, to stay in his word regularly, if that's part of what we need to do, I think that's part of what abiding is, right? Because those feelings don't stay forever uh, when you have that great Sunday morning or that great worship time or whatever. Those feelings tend to fade over time. So let's keep pressing in. Let's keep seeking the filling of the Spirit. Let's keep digging into God's Word, and let's keep doing that together, right? We do that as a community. Some of the things that we struggle with in sin, I've become convinced of this. I didn't used to think this way, but some of the things we struggle with also we're only going to be able to overcome if we tell somebody else about it. Because Scripture says, confess your sins to one another. And you don't need to tell the world, but at least one other person in your life who you trust, who you can say, I am struggling with this. Will you pray with me? Will you keep me accountable? There are certain things in my life I really try to fight on my own and got nowhere. And when I invited a brother in who could walk with me through it, that's when things started to change. That's when the victory started to happen. We were not meant to do this all by ourselves. So we will be transformed by him as we stay in his word, as we connect with his spirit. And as we do that, we're going to do better in the area of the sin that is still there. Because the struggle is real. And again, we're, we're walking a bit of a tightrope today of going, I, I'm not under the condemnation of sin. And that's, that's what we rejoice in the gospel, right? That even though I have sinned against God, I am forgiven. I, even though I have done terrible things, I am right with him. I am going to heaven. The good news of the gospel is in spite of my sin, he loved me anyway, and he died for me anyway, and he rose from the dead for me anyway, and he invites me along with him anyway. I didn't do anything. He did it all. And so my sin has been dealt with in that sense. And yet again, Jesus did not break the chains and set us free from sin just so we could go to heaven. He broke those chains so we could be leaving our sin behind. We could be moving into holiness. We would be growing into who he created us to be. We talked a couple weeks ago about being made in the image of God. And God's intention in creating us was we were made for good. And then we screwed it up. And sin ruined everything. But now in Jesus, Jesus is restoring us back to that goodness. And so when the sin struggle is there and the sin struggle is real, uh, we want to come back to what Paul has told us today. And, and one of the things he tells us is sin was your master, but your old master is not in charge anymore. Your sin is not the boss anymore. First service got excited about that. You guys are pretty quiet today. But if I were the enemy, I would want to make sure that we don't know that, right? I would want to make sure that we didn't feel that way at all. I would want to make sure that even though, he, okay, he lost me, Satan lost me to Jesus, I'm going to heaven, that's already set, I'm forgiven, he can't do anything about that. But if Satan can keep me bound or feeling bound in my sin, if he can make me feel like this is never going to get better, I'm just a sinner, that's who I am, I'm just always going to be a sinner, I'm always going to be struggling, it's always going to be a battle, it's never going to improve. I'm always, I don't feel this victorious life I'm supposed to feel. Like if I were Satan, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be piling that on the church. But the Bible says sin was your master before you met Jesus, but sin is not in charge of your life anymore. Verse 19, I'm using an, an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. That's actually a really sad line. That's Paul saying, I'm using this slavery imagery, guys, because just you all know what slaves are. There's slaves everywhere. 
Uh, and so I'm using slavery because that's an everyday image that you're going to understand. It's going to help you understand this. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Shift your attention. Shift your allegiance. The lie of the enemy is, this is who I'm going to be forever. I am just a sinner. That's all that I am. But the word of the Lord that comes against that is, no, you were set free from that, not just to bring you to heaven, but so that you could leave your sin behind, so that you actually could overcome, you actually can get better, you actually can increase in righteousness and increase in holiness. And next week, we're going to talk about Jesus uh, in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. But when Jesus was tempted by Satan several times, what did he use to respond each time? Scripture. Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. Scripture is one of our weapons of warfare. And so when I start to feel like, well, this is who I am, I'm never going to beat this sin, this is always going to be a battle, I am never going to get better, we can start by responding with Scripture. And the truth of Scripture is, no, sin is not the boss anymore. Sin doesn't call the shots anymore. Sin doesn't get to dominate things anymore. That's not what God's Word says. There has been a breaking of chains that is to set me free from that. There is a story about a bear in a zoo, and this is not the actual bear, but a similar story. Um, there was a bear in a zoo, and the bear had lived its whole life in captivity, and it just had a 30-foot by 30-foot cage, and there was nothing of it. You know, a lot of zoos now try to kind of recreate the natural habitat with grass and water and stuff. This was not that. This was just a concrete pad with a cage on top, 30 by 30, and so its whole life, the bear would just pace back and forth all day, just 30 feet one way, 30 feet the other way, and this was its whole existence. And as some people saw this, they thought, this is no way for a bear to live. And some activists got involved, and there were protests, and there were letters written, and there were rallies, and eventually the zoo said, okay, we will not keep this bear in this cage anymore. We will return the bear to the wild. We'll figure out the right way to do that. So they brought in some experts, and they brought in some activists, and they figured out a way to, to infiltrate, uh, or to get the bear just situated into the wild the way it's supposed to. And so they brought the bear out, and there was fanfare and celebration, and they took the bear into the wild, into a place where there was lots of food and lots of water, a place where it could thrive, and they tagged it so that they could keep an eye on it, and so they were monitoring the bear, and they, they released the bear, and then they went back. And after a couple of days, the ones who were monitoring the bear said, we got to go and check the bear out. I think the bear's dead. It's, it's not really moving around. Uh, we would have expected him to, to be far away now, but he's still just in the exact same spot. And when they went out to check on the bear, they found that even though the bear had been released and had the freedom to go anywhere, uh, had the full forest, had the full valley, could go anywhere, when they actually found the bear again, the bear was just walking 30 feet one way and then turning and going 30 feet the other way because it was just so ingrained. It didn't know anything else. And even though it had been set literally into total and entire freedom, it was not living out of that freedom. It did not understand that freedom. It was so ingrained that you live in this little space. And over time, they were able to coax it. Over time, the bear eventually was able to, to move out and, and get over it. But the bear had been set free and actually didn't really realize that it had been set free. 
And that's us when it comes to our sin. Like we have been set free from it, and yet we are not living out of that typically. We're not really uh, grabbing a hold of that and saying, okay, so I've been set free from my sin. Sin is still very tempting to me. It's still very much a part of what I see in front of me. But how am I growing into the righteousness and growing into the holiness that God calls me to rather than remaining in my cage, rather than staying in my sin? Because even though sin has been broken in us, we don't always live out of that. And there's a weird thing that happens, and I've seen this uh, in, in counseling times over the year. Like sometimes our sin, sometimes our shame, sometimes our hurt has actually become so much a part of who we are that we actually can't imagine life without it. And it can be difficult to give up. And that might sound strange, but it can just become so much a part of how I, I am this person. I am a trauma survivor. I am a, a, a victim of divorce. I am someone uh, who was abused. Like you'd say, well, why wouldn't you want to get rid of that pain? Why wouldn't you want to seek healing? And a lot of people do, but sometimes it can be hard to give up just that sense of who you are. As strange as that sounds, I think the enemy's at work, obviously, but it can be hard to imagine who you are without this thing that is there. And yet, for the pain of our past, there is healing available in Jesus. For the shame that we carry, there is freedom. For the sin that has happened, there is forgiveness. Like, there is nothing that God cannot redeem and restore. Uh, the verse before our passage today, we started in Romans 6.15. Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall no longer be your master. Because you're not under the law, but under grace. Sin is not in charge anymore. Our goal is to move to leave our sin behind more and more and live into the righteousness and holiness of God. So as we are seeking to do that, it requires some things of us. And one of them is to take a real, authentic, honest look in the mirror. Not focusing on anybody else's sins, but just our sin. Where is there sin still in my life? And to be able to have that that real, authentic conversation with yourself without making excuses, without making justifications, without trying to say, well, I do this, but that's not as bad as that person, or I do this, but I only, it's only because I'm so exhausted because of this. No, no excuses, no justification. Where do I still see sin in my life? And listen, if I think about doing that, I go, there are probably a thousand things I could be working on in my life. But that's where we say, Lord, you show me. What am I to work on right now? What needs attention in me right now? Don't worry about the 10 things or 20 things or 1,000 things. Lord, right now, what is it in me that you want me to pay attention to? Is it my words? Is it my thought life? Is it my attitude? Is it my action? Are there, are there clear lines that I'm crossing? Are they more subtle? But Lord, what is it you want me working on right now? What needs my attention? And being willing to have that honest conversation right now also starting to pay attention in our lives to uh, what we might call patterns of sin. And by that we just mean when we do stumble into sin, when we do fall into that, are we noticing patterns in our lives that bring us to that point? Uh, are we noticing circumstances where when we're in certain circumstances, sin tends to follow after? Uh, when I first got saved, there were certain friends I needed to back away from uh, just because we had all been sinners together and then I became a follower of Jesus. But when I was with them, the pull to our old sins was just too strong. So I had to pull myself away. Are there people in our lives? Are there circumstances in our lives? A lot of us, I think it's probably pretty universal, when we're exhausted. 
uh, sin can be right there in those moments because we're looking for a bit of comfort or we're looking for a bit of relief. Uh, so when we're tired or when we've had a bad day at work or when we've had a fight with our spouse or when we're stressed out by this or that or are we starting to notice some patterns just to pay attention? Where am I falling into sin? Where do I stumble? As I start to recognize the patterns, I can start to change the behavior. I have a friend who just said, you know what? I can't have a smartphone. I just can't have one because I, I look at porn and I know I shouldn't do that. And so I just can't have that in my life. That's too much of a temptation. And that's kind of tough in this day and age. I mean, it's weird to say that because we lived without them for most of human history. But to say, you know what, I'm going to inconvenience myself for the sake of trying to do the right thing. Um, other friends who've said, yeah, you know what, I need to, to back away from certain people. I need to not go on the computer when I'm home alone. I need to watch my money when these things happen. Like, whatever that may be. But are there patterns there? My wife and I have noticed we have a pair of friends, uh, not from here, but um, when we go visit them, and, and we always have a great time, but the gossip in us really comes out. <laughs> there's just something, I'm not blaming the friends, but there's just something about the dynamic where, uh, you know, they'll just start to say, did you hear about so-and-so? And we're just like, no, tell us everything right now. And then you're driving home going, oh, wow, that, that kind of got out of hand a little bit. And so we haven't cut them off, but we just know going into when we hang out with them, we just need to be careful of what we, what we agree with and what we encourage. Let's just try to make sure. Um, and they're wonderful people uh, other than that, but it's just something that we've just noticed. That's a pattern that we have figured out. Because the goal for our sinfulness is not that we would just stay in the, hey, we're all sinners, and you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, and aren't we all just sinners together struggling along? And that, that might be true, but we want to be leaving these things behind. And when the Bible talks about sin, like even in the New Testament, it continues to talk about it as this deadly thing. And it's not cutting me off from Jesus at this point. It's not putting my eternity at risk at this point. But sin is a destructive thing. It is a corrupting, destructive thing. Whatever the sin is, it hurts you and it hurts others. And that's the reason why God says don't do it. God says, this thing is going to mess you up, so I'm going to put boundaries that I don't want you to cross. I want you to avoid certain things that hurt you, just as any good loving parent puts boundaries around their kids. And so the tightrope, again, that we're walking is understanding, I am not under condemnation because of my sin. I am forgiven of my sin. I am right with God in spite of my sin. He loves me in spite of my sin. He died for me in spite of my sin, but also to not ever let ourselves get to the place where we're just okay with our sin, where we're not treating sin with the utmost seriousness, where we're not saying, even though I'm forgiven, that doesn't give me license to keep sinning. Even though I'm right with God, even though I could do this thing and then repent later, that is not the right attitude, right? That's what Paul writes. Shall we go on sinning? By no means. We are to be moving on from this. And that's a theme throughout the New Testament. Here's one, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your sinful way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And, and that's one of many I could have shared. But the New Testament view of sin is always, you have been set free from it so that you can move past it, so that you can press on towards holiness, not just so you can rest in, well, I've been set free, isn't that great? And I'm just going to kind of stay where I am, and one day I'll get to heaven. Because sin is corrupting. It is corrupting with its deceitful desires, and we want to leave it. And, and as we struggle with this idea, 
that, you know, well, I, I just kind of feel like a sinner. That's, that's what's heavy on me. I feel the weight of that. Just reminding ourselves that when it comes to your identity, you are who he says you are. You are who God says you are. Not who guilt says you are, not who shame says you are, not who sin says you are. You are who God says that you are. Verse 20 of our passage today. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. And so if I am struggling with, I feel like a sinner, I don't feel super holy, that struggle is real, and I get it, but you are who he says you are, and he says you've been set free from that. He says you have been set on another course. He says your life has shifted in a different direction. And it's not that the struggle isn't real. And it might sound like I'm being picky about, you know, what do we call ourselves and our identity? Are we a sinner or a saint? But one of the things, as I've been going through stuff with my own counselor, one of the things he threw at me that has stuck with me is he says, what we aim at, we tend to hit. What we aim at, we tend to hit. And so the way we talk about ourselves is important. And if it's just... I'm a sinner, 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 you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, we're a church of sinners. Like, if that's our emphasis, then it's really easy to be lulled into the sense of like, well, I'm struggling with my sin, but everyone else is, and, and we all seem kind of okay, and we can just kind of stay in the same place. But when Jesus was teaching, he says, here's the standard for how he wants us to live our life. Are you ready? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we expect that from nobody, because again, we are, we are all in the same boat together. However, if we are only aiming at, well, we're all just sinners, and we're just going to rest in the grace of God, and that's just who we are, then it's going to be really hard to rise above it. When Jesus says, be perfect, that's what we should be aiming for. When the Bible says, be holy, that's what we should be aiming for. When the Bible says, clean up your words, and clean up your mind, and change your attitude, and watch your actions, that's what we're aiming for. We're not lowering the standard to make us comfortable in our sinfulness. We are raising the standard so we are shooting to be the holy people that he has called us to be. And that, that is what we are aiming for. And we're not lowering the, the target to make ourselves more comfortable. And I, I have a part to play in this that I, I wanted to repent of to the church because uh, last year we went through the gospel of, or not the gospel, the letter of Romans in our daily devotional podcast. And, and as I am reading through it, I mean, Paul hammers sin in Romans. It's not a, a light, fluffy letter. Like, it's, there's, there are certain letters in the Bible. If you turn to 1 John, it's just like, 1 John's just like reading a warm hug. Like, it's just like, ah, that just feels nice, and I feel loved and encouraged. Romans is not that at all. Romans is, you're a sinner, you need Jesus. And as Paul writes in Romans, again, he hits us on our sin very, very hard, but that's not where it stops, because although he's very honest about our sinfulness and the wrath of God is being poured out on the world because of its sinfulness, and everybody is in this sin, and nobody is innocent of this sin, and everybody needs saving, and Jesus has come to save you, he shifts at that point and says, okay, now there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now we are more than conquerors. Now we are being transformed more and more into the image of God. He doesn't rest in the sin. He moves to overcoming it. He moves to triumphing over it. And when I was growing up, church was a place, and some of you might remember, where you got hammered with sin on a lot of Sundays, right? It was, it was hard, and it was harsh. And then somewhere along the way, and I think this is just what I grew up with as I started in ministry, 
we kind of swung the other way to, hey, you have your sin, I have my sin. And preachers started talking that way. We're all sinners. And, and that was not a bad thing to say, you're not on your own in this. I'm struggling with sin just like you are. Uh, and there's compassion there, and we can have mercy instead of judging each other. That was all very, very good. I guess my concern is that we've maybe swung too far in that direction, where it just becomes, hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners, that's who we are, and we're st stumbling and struggling, and that's just life. And there's just not a lot of overcoming in that. There's not a lot of victory in that. There's not a lot of leaving the sin behind. There's not a lot of growing in holiness and growing in fruit and growing in the image of Christ. We don't emphasize that in the same way. And so I wanted to apologize and say, I feel like I've, I maybe have gone too far uh, that way. And, and I think a lot of preachers have. And we're not, you know, the, the history of the church is a pendulum swinging back and forth. It's just, we go too far one way and then we come back this way and we're just trying to find where is God in the midst of all of it. But uh, one of you came to me, actually, after one of my sermons and, and just said, listen, like, I'm really glad that, that we're not judging each other like we used to when I grew up. And it wasn't, you know, there was a lot of condemnation and there was a lot of finger pointing and there was a lot of you're a sinner in this way and that way. And we're not doing that anymore. And that's good. But this person said, I just hope in our desire to say, hey, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. Um, we're not creating kind of a comfort with our sin. Does that make sense? Like, we're not just creating a, well, that's me, and that's you, and that's who we are. That's who we are. We're just sinners, and we're all just sinners together, because according to what Paul says, that's not who we are. That is not who we are supposed to be. We are set free from sin so that we can leave our sin behind. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He calls us to freedom in him. And so as we're, we're going through all of this stuff, uh, again, overwhelmingly, what the New Testament calls us, the most common phrase for Christians is saints. And saints means holy ones. And it shows up somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 times, uh, depending on which version of the Bible you have. And it sometimes gets interpreted different ways. I think the NIV right now says God's holy family, uh, which is a, a bit longer. But uh, saints, holy ones. God looks at us who are washed in the blood of Jesus and says, holy ones. When Paul starts most of his letters, it's, hey, holy ones. That's how he's addressing the church. Hey, holy ones, how are you? And I just don't believe that they were super holy, like more than us, in terms of they'd gotten rid of all their sin and they were way, way better. I just think they knew who they were in Jesus, and they said, even though I still see sin in my life, I am washed, I am justified, I am sanctified, and I am overcoming. I am becoming that holy one more and more. I am not living out of my sinfulness. I am living towards the holiness that God has called us to. The last verse of our passage today, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, 23, that because of our sin, we have cut ourselves off from God. We have rejected him and rebelled against him. We are cut off from him, and that's a problem because he's the source of all life. He is the source of eternal life, and to walk away from him is to invite death and bring us into death. The wages, the, the consequences of sin is death, but the gift of God the gospel, the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift is offered to everybody. Trust in Jesus. Follow Jesus. You will follow him right into eternity. And you were not set free from those chains of sin just to bring you to eternity. You were set free from the chains of sin so you could leave those sins behind as you live more and more into the holiness, not living out of the sinfulness, but as a matter of who we are living into the holiness of God. And if I don't feel like a particularly holy one, it doesn't matter because I am who he says I am. 
It doesn't matter if I'm not overly feeling holy today. I'm a holy one because he has called me holy, because he has made me holy. And let's set that as our target that we're living towards and not our sinfulness. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done, ready to wrap up here. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And if you have questions about anything, if you want to grab a coffee, uh, listen, don't ever feel like you're bugging me on this stuff. I love talking about these things and even disagreeing about these things and wrestling with these things. I had a coffee with someone this week who had some questions about a message a couple weeks ago. We had a really good, respectful, open, honest time, and it was a lot of fun, and I left feeling really refreshed. So don't ever feel like you're bugging me or, or concerned if uh, you disagree with something. I love sitting to chat about this stuff, and, and I'll learn something from you, and you'll learn something from me, and we'll have a great time. So please take advantage of this. Questions at metterbook.ca. We would love to keep chatting. Uh, my heart is a dad, and, and we talked a couple weeks ago, or last week it was, you know, good parents love their kids, and that's not everybody's experience, tragically, but we know deep down that's the way it's supposed to be. Good parents love their kids, and that's certainly the way the scripture talks about God and us, that God loves us as a father, as a good dad. He loves us, and he cares for us, and he sent his son for us because he loves us. And I mean, when I think of my own kids, like my heart for them is, is not that they would cower and always be scared of me. I want them to, to follow the rules and respect the boundaries. They understand, hopefully, if they cross a boundary, there'll be consequences, but, but I don't want them cowering in, in shame towards me. I don't want them quaking in fear all the time uh, because if they've done something wrong. Because even in our sinfulness, Scripture says, come boldly before the throne of grace. Not because you deserve it, because Jesus has opened the door for you. And so to be able to say, and, and again, kind of walk this tightrope with our sin, to say, okay, I know there is still sin here. I know this is still a struggle. I know the struggle is real. So what am I going to do to, to begin to rise above this? What am I going to do to begin to shift this? I'm going to get into the Word, get into His presence, get a friend to come with me, get some accountability. I'm going to target something specifically and say, Lord, let's work on this right now. Help me to overcome this. I'm going to take my sin seriously while at the same time resting in the fact that it's forgiven, that you're right with him, that, that he loves you and he is with you, and then being able to, to worship and respond because of that. And as we think about who he has made us to be, who we are, is to not identify ourselves as I'm just a sinner. I am a sinner who sins and struggles with sin and will always struggle with sin. But to say, no, I am identifying myself as a holy one. And if I don't feel holy every day, I, I get it. But I'm identifying myself there. I'm setting my sights there. I'm not lowering the standard. I'm actually raising the bar and saying, I want to live out of the holiness that God is working in me as I walk with him. I want his holiness to be what I'm aiming for and not my sinfulness. My sinfulness will not be the main focus of who I am. I'm going to live out of the holiness of what he's working in me because the chains of sin have been broken. That is the truth of God's word. And they're broken to set us free so we can leave them behind. We're going to worship for a couple of minutes and then we'll wrap up. I'll ask you to stand with me, please. And we will pray to wrap up in a few minutes. The words will be up on the screen. So let that tru truth go deep today. And as you go about your week, that 
the chains of sin have been broken, sin is not in charge. And it would love to feel like to you like it's in charge, but sin's not in charge anymore. That is the truth of God's word. And we want to be living out of that truth more and more as we are wanting to follow after him and leave our sin behind and grow into the righteousness that he's called us to. As we get ready to wrap up, just a reminder, we have prayer teams after the service. If you need prayer for anything, uh, someone will be here and they'd be happy to pray with you. If you don't want to pray, that's fine. We'll ask you just to slip out just so it can be a quiet place in here. Please do your visiting out in the lobby. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word in all of its challenge and in all of its encouragement. Lord, thank you that you have given us truth and that the truth combats the lies. And as we are wanting to live authentically, as we are wanting to live in the way that you've called us to live, that we would live out of the holiness that you are working in us, Lord. And we would live out of that more and more. We would not live out of our sinfulness, but live out of who you have saved us to be, Lord, as you are doing your work in us. Help us to dig into your word. Help us to connect with your presence. Help us to be filled with your spirit. Help us to find accountability, brothers and sisters who can walk with us. And as we do, Lord, help us to overcome. Help us to find the freedom that you've promised us, that we would walk in the fullness of who you have called us to be, that we would grow in holiness and grow in righteousness, not because we are holy or righteous, but because you are holy and righteous, and you are making us that way more and more as you form us, Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on up for prayer, or we'll see you next Sunday.